Good morning. We're glad that you're here. It's a good, good day at times, even when we don't realize it, it is a good day. I was thinking about this this morning on the way in and how often we take it for granted. Uh, the Old Testament tells us in the Bible that while we sleep, uh, God's Spirit, He sings over us. And when we wake up, God allows us to see a new day. We have a new chance to live and to breathe and experience everything that He has for us. And as we go throughout the day, we've got the author of creation who's sitting on the throne, and next to him is God the Son, and with nail-scarred hands, a reminder that not even death can stop him. They can literally conquer death and hell before our very eyes, and he promises to prepare a place for us and save a seat, if you will, save us a home if we're his people, if we're a part of his family. I mean, everything is lined out. There's no reason why any day, any day, whether it's today, whether it's in the middle of the week or even in the middle of a cry, uh, why it's not still a very good, good day. But rarely do we see things that way. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, we know the word gospel, which means good news. It means that our entire life is built around the truth that there is good news out there, that God has brought good news to our lives, and yet we don't always live that way. I mean, what would be more shocking for you to come into this place today and see a room full of people grinning or a room full of people frowning? Well, we know the right answer anytime we're with a church family is, well, smiles should be the thing. But honestly, if you'd walked in today and everybody around you was just sitting there with this pleasant smile looking at you, would you not think this is a creepy place to be? I don't think I want to be here. But when we come in and everyone's just kind of looking like, yeah, morning, morning. They, oh, that's normal. That's, that's how we live. Tomorrow when you go to work, if all your fellow employees or those that work for you or above you, if they're all just grinning and smiling and saying good morning, do you not want to know what's going on? But if you walk in and everyone just goes, hey, you know, like, oh, here we go. This, this is normal. This is our lives. But as followers of Jesus, as people of the way, I made some of you yawn just then. I saw that. I watched. I saw that. It was a bad, bad choice on my part. Um, but as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to hold tightly this foundation of good news in our lives. And although we can't get around the fact that life is sometimes hard, the news is very, very good. Uh, case in point was yesterday, about five o'clock, um, about halftime. A lot of you Rocky Top people should have been celebrating. That was a really good, I mean, there were moments, but that was a good way to end your half. But I know because many of you were sending me text messages. You're like, well, here it goes. We're Tennessee's about to Tennessee. We're, we're going to find a way. You're already saying, I'm just preparing myself for the worst. You're winning. Like It was a good half. All the optimism was flowing, and you're, you're walking around your house going, we'll find a way. And when they recovered that onside kick about two hours later, you're like, well, here we go. The balls are going to fall. That's just the way, that's the way we're so conditioned. We don't do well with good news. And that's what prompted me the last couple of months to get to this point today of trying to figure this out. Why are we so bad at good news? Why do we take good news so poorly? Someone shares bad news with us. We're like, hang on, say that again. Where did you find that? Because I want to click that and share that and screenshot that and tell somebody. I want to talk about it. Someone gives you good news and you just say, well, hang on. It'll get worse. Hang on. Monday's we, we just don't do well with good news. We don't do a good job of celebrating together. 
And I think in many ways it's because, especially over the last few years, we've gotten so much bad news that we just don't know how to handle anything else. We don't know how to receive good news, whether it's been political or uh, health-wise or whether it's been mandates or uh, back and forth fighting or protest or something. It's just there's always so much, and we've conditioned ourselves to we're not even happy unless we're unhappy. We're not even content unless we have something to worry about. We don't do well with good news, and yet once a week we all gather because we never miss a week, right? All, uh, once a week, we all gather here together, and we say the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus, the power of salvation for all who believe. And then tomorrow, there's nothing good about Monday. It's just a Monday. I'm waiting on bad things to happen. So I want us for a few weeks to look at this idea of good news, because if anyone ought to wake up and say, God, thank you for another day. Thank you for another gift. Thank you for another day to breathe. This day may be incredibly hard, but this is your day, and I will rejoice. I will be glad in it, and I'll truck along, and we'll do this thing together, God. If anybody ought to be able to do that, it's those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, people who have accepted the good news, the gospel of God. But before we jump into our uh, scripture today, I want us to pray together really briefly. If you will, just bow with me. God, speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. Give us minds to understand your word. Give us hearts to believe your word. Give us hands that are willing to apply your word. We've given you an offering with song, and now we give you the offering of our attention. Speak to us now, Lord. Your people are listening, and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have a Bible, open it up to the happiest book in all of Scripture. Open it up to the book of Job, if you will. Um, you're thinking, wait a minute, wait, what, there's a trick here. Now, I'm not going to get happy yet because you're about to give bad news. Open it up to the book of Job. So if you have a phone, uh, feel free to use that if you want to get the Bible app um, over the next uh, 20, 25 minutes or so. Feel free to use your phone. Just no Snapchat, no TikTok, no texting, no Instagram, no Facebook, and no new social media thing that I don't know about. So other than that, have fun. And most of you are going, What's left? Well, the Bible app and maybe Safari, if you so choose. Um, But open it up, if you will, to the book of Job. It's a large book in the Old Testament. It's about a man that lived most likely five to maybe even 6,000 years ago. It's really the oldest book we have in the Bible uh, as far as the text itself. Now, we know that Moses eventually wrote about things that happened prior to the creation being one of them, uh, but Job did not live before creation, but it's the oldest uh, copy, if you will, that we have in Scripture. Um, and this story about Job, we, even though we've called him a man of patience, it's really about a man of integrity, a man of faithfulness. And when you open up the story, it begins with someone other than Job. It begins with this behind-the-scenes, backstage, unseen-to-everyone-else interaction between God and the enemy. We refer to him as Satan often. So God and the enemy are having a conversation, which is really weird. I'm not even going to try to explain that because I would just be filling up with words. I don't know. It just happens. I trust it, and I believe it just like I believe the resurrection story in the Scripture as well. This happened. I just don't get it. So there's an interaction that happens. The enemy approaches God, and God says, where you, where you come from? <laughs> what are you doing? Where have you been? And the enemy says, I've been roaming the earth. And we don't have... That have it here in the book of Job, but 
the enemy himself. He was an angel that rebelled against God, and he was kicked out of heaven, and he's not in hell now. He's not plotting and planning and throwing parties in hell. Hell is awaiting him and all those who choose to reject God's righteousness way, way, way down the road. But right now, this is his playground, and this is where he roams. And so he told God as much. I've been roaming the earth. Then there's an interesting thing that God brings up. If the enemy says, I've been roaming the earth, searching to and fro, or maybe your scripture says, I would think if I'm God and I want to draw his attention to anything, I would say, have you seen the Grand Canyon? Uh, pretty great work. <laughs> if, if you've been roaming, have you seen that? Have you seen Yellowstone? Do you know, not the show. Uh, have you seen Yellowstone? You know, like this is incredibly beautiful. Have you been to Hawaii? It's pretty awesome. Have you been to Palmyra? Like, uh, wow. Like, what have I done there? I've created some amazing things around. Have you, have you seen it all? But God doesn't bring his attention to any of those things. Instead, he says, have you seen Job? And we look at the figure of Job like the devil's going to pick on him. God brought him up. Where have you been? I've been roaming the earth. Have you checked out Job? When God chooses to bring you up in a conversation with the enemy to brag on you for a moment, that's impressive. And God says, have you considered Job? Checked him out? He's amazing. And the enemy said, well, of course he is, because everything he has is, is a gift from you. Like, he's got all this stuff. He's the most powerful and rich man in his, in his land. I mean, he's a multimillionaire. If you take that over to our day and time, he's got all this stuff, all this land, this huge family. Everybody's pretty. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's wealthy and wise and on and on. If you took that stuff away from him, I, I don't think he'd be so faithful. I don't think you'd be so impressed with him, God. And God said, well... If you want to do that, you can. If you want to take that stuff from him, you can. You can't take his life, but if that's what you want, okay. And I'll tell you, you're going to be surprised. Uh, there's more to him than you see. So little by little, the enemy begins to take away things from Job's life. And Job loses a lot of money. He loses a lot of wealth, a lot of livestock. He loses a lot of his security. And then there's the fire that takes place. He loses a lot more livestock, loses a lot of sheep, and even loses some of his shepherds, his employers. And then after that, there's this natural disaster, a tornado of sorts, that hits his, one of his son's houses when he's throwing a party and having a family gathering, and all the brothers and sisters and their wives and their kids, and they're all together, and this whirlwind tornado shows up and takes away everything. So Job loses it all, and in chapter 1 of his book, verse 20, it says, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Job had no perspective over what was happening. He didn't know the behind the scenes. He didn't know the conversation. He looked at his life and said, man, I'm leaving the way I came in. Helpless, alone, no clothes, and everything just about is being taken from me. But I'm going to worship, and I'm going to praise the Lord because I understand, okay, if God can give me to me, then God can take away. That's his perspective. Well, after that, the enemy began to also attack Job. 
And Job was inflicted with boils all over his skin. And we could look back and you can research and what that might have been and what that might have looked like. But he had just had this horrible skin condition. So health-wise, he's beginning to fail. And it's pretty graphic as you read through those first couple of chapters of Job of physically how he was falling apart. Even his breath was beyond a bearable, which is odd. Like everything was falling apart. And there was a point where he was sitting in the dust outside his house with a broken piece of pottery and just scraping his arms. He was needing relief so badly. He's just scraping his arms, obviously producing blood and stuff. I don't want to gross you out, but it just, it's a lot happening there. He's just sitting there in the dirt trying to get some kind of relief. And his wife comes by and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Just go ahead. Renounce your faith. Just give up this whole idea of being faithful to a God that's obviously not been faithful to you. And you know if you curse him, he'll kill you on the spot. So just go ahead and do it. What kind of life is this? And uh, his words, not ours. He turns and says, you're a foolish woman. Are we just going to accept great things from God and we're not going to also accept hard things like this? So then after that, he has some friends that come by. They've heard Mr. Mr. Money is struggling. Mr. I've got it all together is struggling. Those on the outside that watched him and envied him, no doubt, in the life he was living, they came by, a few of them, to visit with him. In the book of Job, it says they are his friends. We, I think you read through and question their friendship. But nonetheless, acquaintances, maybe friends, came by. And they began to talk to him. And they began to say, Job, this is you. Like, good things don't happen to people that are, are sorry, bad things don't happen to people who are living good lives. You know this is not right. If something's going on and it's you, so tell us the junk. What have you done? What's her name? Where is she? Where does she live? I know you've got some hidden thing happening in your life. There's something private. What are you doing? What have you done? What have you stolen? Who have you been unfaithful to? There's got to be something. And Job responds to them in chapter 27. He said, wait a minute, we skipped across 20 chapters. 20 chapters of his friends telling him like he was wrong. So we get to 27, and he responds, and he says, I vow by the living God who has taken away my rights, by the Almighty who has embittered my soul, as long as I live while I have breath from God, my lips will speak no evil, and my tongue will speak no lies. I will never concede that you are right. I will defend my integrity until I die. I will maintain my innocence without wavering. My conscience is clear for as long as I live. He said, men, I'm telling you, this is not about something I've done. I don't understand. I don't get what's going on. I don't know why things are falling apart. Their perspective, Job's too, was that these kinds of things happen as punishment from God to people who are not living for him. So Job was just as confused as they were. They're sitting around debating. His friends are certain that it's punishment for a sin. And Job says, I don't know what I've done. Honestly, I can't think of it. I try so hard. You read through the first couple of chapters. He would even go to worship. He would provide sacrifices for his kids because he wasn't confident necessarily that his kids were making all the right decisions. So he wanted to worship on their behalf and give sacrifices on their behalf. This guy is impressive, which is why God told the enemy, have you considered Job? He's unreal, man. And now Job is thinking... I don't understand. I don't understand why this is happening to me. My life is out of control. I've lost my money. I've lost my retirement. I've lost my family. I've lost my health. I might as well have lost my relationship with my wife. I've lost my respect in the community. I have lost everything. And he does what most of us do when we feel like everything's been pulled out. 
we start to remember. And we reminisce. And we look at old pictures and we remember old things. And that's what he's doing here. And in chapter 29, this is some of the saddest, saddest part of the entire book. And, and I'm going to read it without a whole lot of emotion. I didn't know Job. Um, but I, I cannot imagine him saying these words, having this kind of conversation, this monologue, if you will. Or maybe he was speaking to one of his friends. But I cannot imagine these being his thoughts and them not coming through tears. In Job chapter 29, verse 1, he says, I long for the years gone by when God took care of me. Not now, those old days, back when God took care of me. When he lit up the way before me and I walked safely through the darkness. When I was in my prime. That's kind of funny to me. I miss the days of me being in my prime. I could throw a ball over that mountain. I swear. God's friendship was felt in my home. The Almighty was still with me and my children were around me. I went to the city gate and took my place among the honored leaders. The young stepped aside when they saw me, and even the aged rose in respect at my coming. All who saw me spoke well of me, for I assisted the poor in their need and the orphans who required help. I helped those without help, and they blessed me. Everything I did was honored. Righteousness covered me like a robe. I served as eyes for the blind and feet for the lame. I was a father to the poor and assisted strangers who needed help. I thought, surely I will die surrounded by my family after a long, good life. So here's Job looking back, remembering all the times when things were so good, when he didn't have all the cares and the worries and the fears, where his kids were still with him. His family was around him. He was respected, and he had that list of uh, things that he was missing. And then he ended it by obviously saying, I, I really thought I was going to live a good life. I thought in the end I'd be surrounded by my family. I'd breathe my last breath, and I could be proud of what God did through me. But I guess that's not going to be the case. So he's still holding on to his faith. He's still worshiping and trying to praise God but he's looking at life saying, what is going on? What happened? What happened to me? And why did you do this? Now, none of you is, has experienced, none of you is right now experiencing anything like this. I know that. But I think the common thread here in the way that his life mirrors ours is that we have those moments we really thought we knew what God was up to. We really thought we knew the trajectory of where our lives were taking us and what God was about to provide. Then we have this moment where it just doesn't make any sense. And everything is spinning out of our control and it gets overwhelming. And many of you are living with a heaviness because you've got so many things that are not right in your life at one time and so many things that are spinning. And you'd give anything just to have three Three of the issues resolved. Just stop the spinning here. Let me just handle one at a time. And there's just so much heaviness that the idea of waking up every morning and saying, Lord, you've given me a new day. I'm going to choose to be full of joy and rejoice in this day because I know it's a gift. Like, that's just off the table. It's more or less, God, I'm going to try to get through this one. So there's no joy. There's no good news and so when you read this or you sing about it, you're just trying to manufacture energy. You're singing in hopes of it being true eventually. 
I'm going to project praise and they're going to hope and maybe even assume that down the road it's going to get better than it is right now. So Job was just trying to figure out what is going on. And I do this most days just like you. I'll scan the news kind of quickly. I'm not a news hound. That's, I don't really get into it because it's all so negative, and it just kind of puts me in a place. And I don't want to read that stuff over and over again. Um, if the game had gone south yesterday, I'm not listening to talk radio today. Like I do not, don't need that in my life right now. I, I saw it with my own eyes. I don't need a bunch of people to call in about how terrible it is. Now, of course, I'm like, oh, download three more apps. It's good news now. Like I'm happy. But we, we don't like, you know, we don't want the negative stuff. And it's just so overwhelming. Whether it's our country or another country, it's our schools, it's our health, it's are we doing this again? We spent the last two years not even sure if there was a side to pick and if there was a side, which one we were on. And we kind of got bitter towards that. And anybody who wasn't on our side or feeling the way we were about something, we made it like it was two separate armies and it wasn't. But we, we just had all this stuff. And we have been unable to come together and find any good news. And yet, you know, Job is kind of going through the same stuff, saying, why, God? Why? What is going on? Why are you allowing all this to happen? Well, Job finally hears God's voice in chapter 38. So if you're reading through the book of Job, you got to get through 37 chapters before God responds. And in chapter 38, verse 2, listen to what he says. This is kind of jarring. God speaks to Job and he says, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? If you prayed and that was, oh, okay. He says, Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Job and his friends have been questioning God over and over and God says, Are you done? Get ready, brother, because I got some things to ask you. He even says, brace yourself like a man. Like, you got to stand for this one because this is going to hurt. And I, I read through this a few times, and I, there's so many of them. Some make me laugh. There's just so many questions here. And I just started counting the question marks, knowing that it's been translated to English, and you know it's a little bit different. But we got over 60 questions that God presents to Job over and over and over and over and over and in chapter 40, verse 2, he tells, tells Job, he says, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? Would you, like, would you like me to continue what I'm saying here? And in verse 4, Job's response is, I'm going to cover my mouth with my hands. I, I think I've said too much already. <laughs> like, we're, we're having this thing. I don't think I knew what I was getting into right now. And if you've ever been there where you just started talking and you just, your mouth was just going faster than your mind and you got to the end and said, I just need to quit. Like I, I'm, I'm going way too deep here. And in verse one of chapter 42, Job replied to the Lord after all these questions. He says, I know you can do anything and no one can stop you. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? Um, it's I, <laughs> it is I. And I was talking about things I know nothing about. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. He said, listen, I'm just, I'm just confused. I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm confused. I'm hurting. I'm still grieving. I don't understand anything that's going on in life right now. This does not make sense with my view 
of who you are. So I just talked. I just was fighting back. I'm defensive. And my friends showed up in my life, and they made me even feel worse, which is a good reminder for when you're struggling. Sometimes you just got to get away from people for a while. His friends made it worse talking to him. And he says, God, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying things. I don't know what's going on. So God does respond, and through it all, he gives two really basic, not profound, but basic truth principles that I want us to, to grasp, because I, I think they helped Job, and I think they will help us. And if you feel like right now your lives are just spinning out of control and there's so much happening, you just would love one day to breathe, to rest, and to feel like today was a good day. If you're just wanting one of those, maybe this will help get you a little further to that point. Number one, what he was explaining to Job and what we have a hard time grasping is we've never read the whole story. We have a small chapter, a small section in the story of God, and we're trying to make sense of the chaos with a very limited perspective. God said this, asked this of Job in chapter 38, verse 4. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. So as he's speaking, he says, Job, listen, you're just speaking from your years of existence in this town, on this planet. You don't know, were you around when I laid the foundations of the earth? The answer is obvious. Job had nothing to say. I don't know. It's just a very small perspective. Because from Job's perspective, bad things don't happen to good people. Everything that happens is God's perfect plan and will And therefore, this doesn't make sense because I'm really, really hurting now. And I know that God would never, ever want anyone he loves to go through anything hard. So none of that makes sense. He had no idea what was happening behind the scenes. He had no idea of that conversation that the enemy had. He had no idea that God had bragged about his faithfulness. He had no idea that this wasn't God ruining his life. This was the enemy, the epitome of evil that was sweeping through his life. And he was experiencing the consequences of living in a broken and fallen world in the middle of a spiritual battle with someone that he cannot even see. He didn't know any of that, but his perspective was so limited that he had to figure something out based on his information. And there are times when you and I have to step back from our lives and realize there is so much more going on than what we see right now. We don't see the whole story. And if we could, maybe today would make sense. It still might not make sense because we can't see the future of what's going to happen down the road. And I was asking myself this last night as I was lying in bed thinking about today. If I knew for sure that my physical demise would bring about the salvation for those of you in this room who are not followers of Jesus and for whatever reason will not surrender to your, life, your lives to him, I think I'm signing up if that's it. If that's what it would take, if me being absent would make it more possible for you to say yes to Jesus, then take me out. Now, tomorrow morning, if I have some sort of moment or bad news or the doctor says something about me, I'm probably going to go, why me, God? Why? I mean, I'm so close to you. I'm so, but if God's writing a different story, what's more important? 
my comfort and my happiness and my laughter for another decade of living or your eternal security, your eternal relationship with God. That is much more important. We don't always have that kind of perspective. We don't know what God's doing behind the scenes. Job didn't know what God was doing behind the scenes. And ultimately, God's not most concerned with me being comfortable. That's not the most important thing to God. There's no time when heaven has an emergency staff meeting and they say, Chad's sad. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Because we all know that can't happen. Like that is wrong. So there's no concern there. I go through things, I'm sure, and I pray. I go, God, why me? And I'm sure there are times when God wants to look and say, why you? I came to earth and died for you. Like, you, you just had to pay a bill. Like, what do you mean, why me? Why? That's not that big a deal. That we fall apart. Well, she doesn't like me anymore. They hated me. They killed me. They murdered me. They've been murdering followers of Jesus for the last 2,000 years. She doesn't like you. You'll be okay. You'll be all right. God, my parents took away my phone. Hmm. Is this as bad as it gets? <laughs> Are we really? Like, we, but think about it, all the things that we struggle with and yet are so insignificant. And some of you have struggled with a lot more than that, nothing trivial like that. You've experienced the loss. You've buried a child, or you've been a part of a relationship that just didn't work out. That's heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. But God is not finished, and there's a story that's being written, and it gets us to this other point here, that we were never given complete responsibility. And what I mean by that is the future of mankind is not up to me. The future of our generation is not up to me. We have responsibilities. There are things we have to do, and God demands that we do them, but we're going to roll on. There have been times when this world was just as evil as it is right now. You say, oh, no, there's no way. Yes. In fact, one time it was so bad, God destroyed everything. And then he sent a rainbow and said, I'm never going to do that again. The only way to eliminate evil is to eliminate everyone who has rejected God's holiness. And that wipes out millions and millions and millions of people that God says, I'm patiently waiting right now because I want everyone to come to know me. And I'm being patient in my return because of that. We live in a broken world full of broken people, and it's going to break us along the way. But it's not ultimately our responsibility to fix everything. God still holds that card. God will see it through. Can we make things worse? Yes. If God's people who are called by his name would humble themselves and pray and seek his face, turn from their wicked ways, would he hear from heaven and heal our sins and forgive our land? Yeah, we would see some amazing things happen if we would just be faithful to God. But in the end, it's still him. Scripture doesn't say, the one who God began a good work in, it's up to you to finish it and complete it on your last day. It says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And God's going to finish the story and he's gonna see it through. He's gonna walk it through. So what I mean by that is, for some of you, I know your, your homes are out of control and 
your relationship with your children is upside down, or maybe your children have said no to a faith that you prayed so hard for them to accept, and they are running fast in the wrong direction, and it is breaking you. I want you to know that it's not over because God loves those kids as much as you do. And God's going to pursue them. He'll put people in their lives. He'll allow them to go through stuff, but he's not going to give up on them. If you're going through financial chaos right now and your world is upside down, God raised the dead. He can handle a bank ledger. We just take what we have and say, Lord, this has not been fun. I'm just gonna place what's left in your hands. And God's faithful to take care of that. There's nothing too hard for him. Nothing's impossible with him. We just have to be willing to say, God, I'm not in control. And those of you who have control issues, this is, real, this is really significant for you, I know. Because what's happening? What's the problem? Because I'm a fixer, and I'm going to make it better, and I'm going to protect, and I'm going to provide. And there are moments we have to step back and say, God, I'm powerless. I can't do this. I can't handle this. I don't even know what's next. But God is in control. So the good news is that even when life is spinning out of your control, it is not, has not, and will never be spinning out of his control. Your life may be spinning out of your control faster than you can even see. But it's all in the palm of his hands, and he is going to see you through. He's going to see it through, and he will be faithful to finish the story. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God who is willing and able to step into history to protect us at times. And God, I also want to praise you for being a God who is strong enough, secure enough, and willing to at times choose not to intervene into our lives because you're doing something else. And there might be something that I need to learn or there might be a test that I need to pass, or there might be a temptation that I need to overcome because ultimately you're conforming me into the image of your son. There's a transforming thing happening in my life and it's not going to happen if everything I want in life happens just the way I want it and I'm given everything I want just at the right time. That takes no faith. So God, I can't pray for everyone here and on behalf of everyone's spirit, but I can just pray on my behalf, and I know my story, and I am thankful for the times when you were willing to allow the enemy to remove things from me because it's in those moments that I found out who I was and what I believed, and it made my faith stronger on the other end. So for those who were going through difficult challenges right now, maybe not on the scale that Job experienced, but difficult to them nonetheless. God, I pray that you would remind them that even when our lives feel out of control, you're still on the throne and you are still able and you are going to make sure that we make it home. So God, thank you for your provision. God, for anyone in this place who's not a follower of Jesus, I pray that today would be the day they lock that up and answer that question once and for all. They open up their hearts and believe and turn to you and say, I'll take what's left of my life and lay it at your feet. I'm ready to come home. Thank you for saving us, Lord. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.